from him who will not leave his people alone, and from him who brought us from isolation into God's community. Come all grace and mercy and peace to each and every one of you today. Amen. Our epistle lesson from 1 Corinthians 12 uh, is what we're going to meditate upon this morning. As we continue our Lenten journey, we continue to explore how we can say the gospel in seven words. With the understanding, though, the caveat that we know that seven words can never possibly say all that needs to be said about Jesus. But hopefully by trying to, to put the gospel in the seven words, it'll force us into trying to answer the question. At the end of the day, what really is the good news of Jesus? Confessing the gospel involves two fundamental truths, to be honest with you. First is, is that the gospel is bad news before it's good news. Now, I know that doesn't make sense because the gospel means good news. So how can it possibly be bad news? Well, think of it in terms of us good Lutherans being taught that you have to have law in order for gospel to take effect, Right? So the law is what confronts us and convicts us and shows us that we are sinners. And that's the bad news. The bad news is that we're a creation that's turned away from its creator. And that bad news is the source of all that is wrong in this world. All the oppression and the hatred and the violence that goes on. All the isolation and exclusion and disunity and so forth. But the gospel is also good news. It's the good news of a God who so loves his creation that he does something about it. He decides not to let his creation be in isolation from the community that he originally intended. And he reigns over his creation in the love and mercy of Christ Jesus. It's the good news of a God who's not willing to let his people alone. Now, there's many images and concepts and truths about God's love for us that we've explored and that we can draw upon. And we've looked at many themes over the last few weeks in Lent. But today, today I want to focus on something that, in my opinion, is an obvious and pressing concern in our society today. I'm talking about isolation and community. Two words that, that couldn't possibly have more opposite meanings from each other, but are so intimately entwined. You know, despite the global immediate connectivity that we have at our fingertips via our cell phones, just look at any teenager and, well, half of the adult population these days, we're in the midst of a sweeping epidemic of isolation, social isolation. In other words, we're in, in an epidemic of loneliness, Fortune Magazine published an article in June 2016 that was called Chronic Loneliness is a Modern-Day Epidemic. And this is an article that describes the physical and the emotional uh, problems associated with loneliness. It analyzes our present situation and, and even suggests the causes for loneliness. Would you believe that the article even suggested that there's a pill that can help us deal with it? Go figure that. There's a problem. Let's throw money and medicine at it. Loneliness has a lot of causes, a lot of causes. And studies have shown that over the years, loneliness, the people who have admitted to it, 
has doubled. In the 1970s and the 1980s, the people who admitted they were lonely, it was about 11 to 20%. Just eight years ago, that number was up to 40 to 45%, and probably today we're at least in the 50s. And causes are vast. You know, I think we all struggle with loneliness at some point in our lives. I grew up in a military family. We moved every three to four years. Every time we got settled down and I made a new batch of friends, there we went. Dad got orders and off we went again. I had to start all over again. Now, in fairness, most of the time we were hopping from one military base to the next. So at least I was surrounded with kids who were in the exact same situation I was. So we bonded against the common struggle. But there was one move in particular. It was about 1979, 1980. My dad, we were stationed in Fort Riley, Kansas, living on a Department of Defense uh, base. And he got orders to be stationed at the Pentagon. So we made that move to Alexandria, Virginia. At this time, though, we weren't living on a military base. We were living out on the economy. This time, I wasn't surrounded with, with people uh, who were in the same boat as I was. No, I was going to public school for the first time. The kids that I were, were encountering for the first time were kids that grew up together, had spent their whole lives together. I was a new kid on the block. And can you imagine, I know my wife will probably shake her head at this, but yes, I struggled to find friends. I had a hard time socializing with people. I was a new kid on the block. I got bullied. I was an outcast. I was isolated for a long time. And perhaps you can relate. Maybe not to that exact situation, but to loneliness in general. Maybe you're the only person in the house or your apartment. Loneliness can certainly get at you. Maybe you're an independent person. And you think everything's going along well for you, and then loneliness creeps up at you. You can be in a room full of people and feel isolated. Because cliques form, they look at you differently, and you're unsure how you're going to fit in. Oh, and then there's a loneliness, believe it or not, that's associated with social media. Oh, you got something like 100 likes on Facebook. Well, there's a ton of people following you on Twitter or Snapchat, and there you are with your phone thinking all alone that this is community enough. But you know what? It never is. Isolation and loneliness is an epidemic, but it's nothing new. The Bible has a lot to say about it. Right off the bat in the Bible in Genesis, God noticed that Adam shouldn't be alone. So he gave him a companion in Eve, and all was well until sin entered in. Sin came in and divided Adam against Eve, and then isolated Adam and Eve from God. That's what sin does. It divides us, first from God and then from one another. It causes us to do things that God just has got to be shaking his head at. How many of us are divided from members of our own family? We would long to reach out to that person that we haven't talked to in years. Or maybe we desire to be closer to our friends or a group of people. And then consider the church. Perhaps this is the one place, or the last place, I should say, that people would really think that divisions would occur. 
that people could possibly be lonely in. But the divisions of a church can be even more painful. We come and we worship in the same location. We gather here at Ascension, and yet we can often feel so far apart. We say that we're Ascension Lutheran Church with three worship times of 5.30 and 8.30 and 11 o'clock. But I wonder how often maybe people think that we're three separate congregations. It happens to members of a congregation loneliness. It happens to members of the synod. It happens to members of the Christian church on earth. Isolation from community. This is not what God intended. The Apostle Paul today talks about one body with many members. He says right off the bat, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one, ba- of one spirit. Think about that. In our baptisms, God took us away from the isolation from him and brought us into the community of his family by removing that original sin. He gave us a place to call home in a sense of a belonging. But it's not enough to just say that we belong to the body of Christ, to the family of God. We're supposed to be a community of believers, not isolated from one another. We're called upon to worship together, to fellowship together, and to work together in his kingdom. No one person is more important than another, regardless of age, regardless of gender, regardless of race, married, independent, or economic status. Each member of the body of Christ has been given a gift, and no one person is more important than another. I remember in 1981, Ronald Reagan was shot. How many of you remember that? John F. Hinckley, Jr. shot Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan was hospitalized. And yet, the government went on. Nothing really changed in the government and the way that we did business in America. Yet, it wasn't that long after that, in the city of Philadelphia, of all places, that the garbage collectors went on strike. Three weeks on strike, trash built up. They had a bad sanitary problem. It became a really smelly city. Can you imagine if all the garbage collectors in America went on strike at once? Pretty bad picture, right? So let me ask you, who's more important, the president or the garbage collectors? You might laugh at that a little bit, but I use that analogy to think about the church body itself. This is what the body of Christ looks like. You have people that are garbage collectors, and you have people who are administrators. Paul uses this analogy of a body uh, to show, to drive home the importance of how each member of the body of Christ can contribute. Paul says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to that body, that would not make it any less part of a body. God has given each and every one of his gifts, and he arranges them as he sees fit. Imagine if the whole body were an eye. What does Paul say? Where would the sense of hearing be? How would the body function 
without each and every one of these gifts coming together that he's given us. One body in many parts. And then Paul further goes on to say that the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And on, on our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. That one struck me funny this week for some reason. I, I really spent a lot more time with that one there, thinking about the parts of the body that seem to be weaker or indispensable. You know, Paul isn't talking gibberish here. Uh, rather, he's talking about how a body functions properly. And yet, when you look at the church local, synodical, denominational, or global, the church is often divided. People are left on the fringes and cliques are formed. We look down upon our youth because, honestly, what can they contribute? They ought to be seen but not heard. They don't know anything. Now, let me tell you something. Our youth are more informed than we give them credit for. And then there's people that look at the elderly and think they're, they're beyond their prime. What can they contribute anymore? I see it all the time at the Lutheran Haven. People drop the elderly off there and never come back and visit them because they're a burden. And then we give sideways glances to the garbage collectors, the single moms, the divorced, the widowed. How can we treat one another this way? I'm talking in general, of course, but this is something that is a, you know, a big-time problem in our church body. But as Paul goes on to say, God has so composed the body, given greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that members may have the same care for one another. That's what God intends in the community. Each and every person coming together to care for one another. Paul says that when one member suffers, the whole body suffers. And one rejoices, the whole body rejoices. Think about that suffering part for a moment. That's how it is. One group of people suffering, we should all suffer. And yet, we often suffer in other ways when we're divided, right? If there's a division in the body of Christ and the whole body suffers because it's not functioning the way it needs to be. So I ask you, who do you know today that's feeling left out and on the fringes and that's lonely? Who do you know that we can share the good news of Christ with? And how, here's a more important question, how can we come together, together as a church body, to go out and spread this good news? How can we work in the body of Christ towards eradicating the epidemic of loneliness? Well, first we start with God. Our God, who, remember, through Christ Jesus, removed us from isolation and brought us and restored us to community. I'm reminded of Psalm 68, verses 4 to 6, where David writes, Sing to God, sing the praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exult before him. Father of the fatherless, protector of the widows, is God in his holy habitation. God settles a solitary in a home. God settles a solitary in the home, David writes. And he should know. He spent most of his life running from King Saul and hiding for his safety. He knew what it meant to be divided and isolated and alone. 
But notice what God did. Even when David committed the most grievous of sins, God didn't just forgive him and leave him alone. God restored him to a community. And God then bestowed upon him grace and was with him his entire life. That's what God does. He doesn't just forgive and leave alone. God has given us his word and scripture and invites us to spend time with him, to grow with him and be in community with him. God sets the table in communion and invites us to dine with him and all of our brothers and sisters in Christ in the body. And then God has given us the Holy Spirit to be with us and guide us throughout our entire lives. God certainly does his part to eradicate loneliness. Are we doing ours? 1624, the Christian poet and clergyman John Donnie said that no man is an island. And he was absolutely right. Wasn't good for God, uh, wasn't good for man to be left alone in the Garden of Eden. And it's never been good for any of us alone to be alone ever since. And that's why today we consider the gospel in terms of a gracious community into which God places us. We're baptized into Christ and each other. We commune with the Lord as one body around one table. We live together through good and bad times, glorifying God and, and, and supporting one another in, in Christian love and in charity. And we look forward to the eternal reunion that God has in store for his creation. As Paul says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And as David writes, father of the fatherless and protector of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. So how can we summarize the good news in seven words today? Maybe it's these seven words. God refuses to leave his people alone. To God be all the glory. Amen.